Think about the adverts you see on social and out of home and even on TV right now. They all use big text. They're filmed straight on or top down. They're close up, abstract, and they run to a really fast paced rhythmic soundtrack. Well, all of those characteristics are making people detach from your advertising. And that's why creative effectiveness in advertising is on the decline, according to today's guest, Orlando Wood. Now, Orlando is the chief innovation officer at System One Group, but you'll probably know him from his two rightfully popular books on creative advertising, Lemon and Lookout, both of which he made with the IPA. Yeah, what a guy, Orlando, and what a brain that man has got. Listening to him is such a treat. If you don't come away with anything from this episode, then I will be very, very surprised. It was like a psychology, anatomy, history lesson all rolled into one. And I can't wait for you to hear this one. So please get a notepad, get a pen and note down some of these pearls of wisdom from Orlando in here, including how we can still learn from advertising in the 1890s why Picasso's art was way ahead of its time and how it's actually still left an imprint on the advertising industry as a whole and how social's to blame for the rise of the left-hand brain creative. Enjoy. All right then. Well, Orlando, thanks so much for joining us today. We're really looking forward to this conversation. And um, as our listeners will know, every week we start off this podcast with our overarching question. And this week that is, why is creative effectiveness in advertising on the decline? Hello, well, lovely to be here and thank you for that. Well, what a big question to start with. And, you know, I suppose perhaps anyone who's familiar with uh, some of my work and research might know that I think that the creative itself perhaps has something to do with it. And uh, what I've shown and I think uh, demonstrated through two books now with the IPA is a change in creative style over the last 15 years and you know becoming markedly so in the last few years is this shift towards uh, what I describe as, as left-brain dominant advertising. Mm-hmm. And I use the work of a, a psychiatrist neuroscience researcher, uh, philosopher actually, Ian McGilchrist, to try to explain perhaps some of the changes that we're seeing around us in culture and in advertising today. And you tend to find in periods of big technological leaps like the one that we've been through in the last 20, 30 years in the world of the internet and the world wide web, changes in thinking style, changes in habits of thinking. And they bring with them uh, a very different type of attention, a sort of narrowing attention that leads to a, a kind of a certain kind of advertising style that's perhaps, uh, you know, less like uh, advertising used to be. It's very cut up into short, sharp uh, segments, uh, lots of uh, words on the screen, rhythm over music, a kind of loss of connection between people in a defined place, interacting, people interacting with each other. And instead, you know, sort of people kind of looking uh, down the ca- the barrel of the camera, staring at you. Um, and highly rhythmic sou- soundtracks, all of those things uh, that, that push people away a bit. And that's kind of the work that I've, I've been doing to I think, explain the question that you're asking. Yeah, I mean, let's talk for a bit about the difference then between the left brain and the right brain, because I think it's somewhat of a myth that the right brain is where 
all creativity happens and the left brain is where all logic happens. But I mean, from the work that you've done, especially with Lemon um, and this you know, research into it, how do the left and the right brain interpret information differently? And I guess specific to our topic today, how does that then change our response to advertising? Well, the work I've, I've done draws on on the research of um, Ian McGilchrist and he you know, he was discouraged from going into kind of hemisphere research, the two halves of the brain, because it was deeply unfashionable. It was made unfashionable in the nineteen in the nineteen sixties, became very popular, and it got a bit a bit tainted. You know, a very simplistic kind of view emerged that, as you say, the left brain is sort of analytical, the right brain's emotional and creative. It's not as simple as that, and it's it's not really the right. That's answering the wrong kind of question, which is how what, do the two brains do different things? Actually, what Ian sort of suggests is that they don't do different things. They're both involved in cognitive function of all kinds. It's just that they do things differently. They have different takes on the world, different modes of attention. And this is really important for advertising as well as for culture, because he talks about how the right brain is our sort of presencing brain. It, it presents the world to us as it really is. It's open, broad and vigilant in its attention. You know, we, we always see the sort of global picture uh, first. So um, we, we kind of see the wood before the trees. And anything that's interesting, the right brain then passes over to the left brain to sort of unpack, uh, to, to try to understand, to look at in more detail, to get more granular, you know, to, to sort of really look at the, at the component parts, if you like. The left brain breaks things down into smaller parts. And it has a very sort of linear way of looking at things. And it kind of tries to map th- the world with you know its own models um but the right brain is what presents things to us in the first place and what i think we've seen in the last 15 20 years as i describe in uh look out in particular the latest book is this narrowing of attention in our digital age you know all of us are kind of looking down at our phones <laughs> mobile devices perhaps three or so hours a day on average is very narrow beam attention that we're bringing to bear on the world. And he, Ian describes how the left brain and the right brain sort of communicate via this thing in the middle of the two hemispheres called the corpus callosum. The, the, what we find is that it inhibits one brain or another at any given time, and the left brain inhibits the right more than the right inhibits the left. And at periods such as the one we're in, where we see great technological leaps, and I've described this in the books, you know, I think you get this narrowing of attention and it has a real effect on art in previous periods, but in advertising today, the creative world. And so because the left brain does like to look at things in smaller pieces, it chunks things up in time, it has no sense of live time. So and no real sense of place or context. You know, all of these things come from the right brain. And so in advertising, you can actually trace this shift in thinking style, these habits of style in the creative work around us, in the sights and sounds of advertising. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it, Orlando, that, you know, the left brain's typically referred to as a digital brain, right? So, you know, interpreting all the analytics, etc. And then you've got the right hand brain, which is the analog brain. Despite being the side of the brain which is attributed to creative and visuals, which, you know, if we look at socials, then we go back to Instagram, yet we've got a side of the brain, you know, being known or 
it's known as the analog brain, yet it's mostly been targeted on digital. Bit of a funny shift. I just wanted to ask if we could get some examples of, you know, visual and auditory elements found in advertising that appeal to both or or one side, appeal to the left and the right hand brain. You know, for example, close up product shots, mm. for example, that would specifically be designed for the right hand brain, right? The left brain, I would say. But let me give you some examples. You know, so some of the features I've looked at, which I think you could map broadly to the right or left hemisphere, you know, that the right hemisphere is interested in the living. It's interested in things that, that move, you know, animals, people. It's interested in uh, the way that they connect with each other. It's more open to sort of, it's more interested in social bonding, basically. Uh, it's interested in the novel. So thing, I mean, things that are new to it, you know, so it's alert to, to, to new stuff. And, it, you know, it can, it can deal with contradictions. So the two things might be, two opposing thoughts might be true, seem to be true at the same time, which means it understands metaphor and humour. So you're starting to get an impression uh, straight away when I say some of these things of the kind of advertising that is of interest to the presencing right brain, that presence it you know, presents the world to us and that's mm. advertising with character you know with incident with place um those sorts of things really important for holding attention capturing and holding attention but also eliciting an emotional response now what what we've found um and what i've shown working with others is that there are features that are associated, that you might say are associated with the left brain, things like split screen effects, this sort of me telling you something, you know, uh, voiceover or words on the screen, abstraction, so looking at stuff really close up, you know, so just details of a pack mm -hmm. shop, for instance, as you mentioned, you know, really product specific stuff. Also rhythm, freeze frame effects of so freezing things in time, so you don't get that sense of live time, which the right brain gives us. Uh, this stare, this facial frontality, you know, um, mm. and self-consciousness as well, you know. Look, I've really noticed that stare everywhere, Orlando, since I uh, watched your your presentation. You know, the <laughs> presentations for Lemon and Lookout that you sent us. Yeah. And now, you know, I turn on the telly and I, you are, you're right, you're seeing it in every single advert, every single social media video. Th those left hemisphere features push people away and, and leave you feeling, you know, not very good. And they don't mm. map to business effects as impressively as those right brain features in the, you know at all following on from that um exact point these business results that social media advertisers in particular are trying to get like you know driving emotion which we always say is the only way to get your work shared on social is creating that emotional response um, but when these left brain tactics like your close-up shots etc are doing a good job at capturing attention but not so much anything else you know isn't it interesting that what we what we seem to be doing and what social media as a practice has sort of emboldened is contradicting everything that we are we as social media advertisers are trained to achieve yes i think that's a very fair point and you know there are probably many many reasons for that and you end, you know, it's it's isn't it? It's like I think Paul Feldwick said: the more we know about advertising, the more we seem to be doing precisely the opposite. Um, yeah. It, the, 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 yeah. You're right. You know, and perhaps it's to do with the types of measures we're looking at, the types of uh, rules and guidance that are given by platforms may be playing a role in this. Um, the fact that we know that it's very difficult in some of these platforms to hold attention beyond just the first few seconds, really, 
and so that that leads you to you know certain guidelines and rules which which take you down a specific path mm. and that's you know sort of make the best use of the first few seconds and you know that's kind of what you've got folks is sort of it seems to me so you know you what you end up with is advertising that is you know very mechanistic and and that's you know not not the sort of work that that really holds attention or or evokes you know it's an emotional response i think if more people in our in our line of work especially if more people knew you know the research that you've carried out here that what we're told is best practice and what we're told is good for getting attention on social like you know close up shots animation these punchy rhythmic soundtracks is actually doing the opposite psychologically I feel like there would be more of a shift, but genuinely, I don't think most people are aware of that. No, it's 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 um you know that's why it's so great to be invited on and, and talk about these things. So thank you, you know I think you're right. Um, and what you're actually seeing now, I think too, is this is this style of advertising that's been developed in social media world in the last fifteen years, making its way onto TV. And that's really not how TV works. Which makes makes very little sense, I think, because it started off on social, I think, if it's my best guess, why you're choosing a text-based animation over hiring studio, hiring actors and filming, it's cost and time. Yeah. Whereas if moving that to television where the budget is there and the time is there, it doesn't make all that much sense. Well, and there, there may not be time and budget anymore um, for TV, mm. you know, with... with it seems, you know, with it, with people getting used to to doing work on social, perhaps young brands that are establishing themselves, you know, they start on social and then they carry those mm. learned ways of doing things onto onto TV. So there are things that we now know that suggest that we should be doing something else if we want those lasting effects. And that's one of the things I do in the last book, Look Out, is I look at, I overlay these features on the IPA's effectiveness database working with Peter Field and show that campaigns with the that might be described as these right brain campaigns have these right brain features are more likely to drive profit gain, share gain, sales gain, you know, these lasting effects. Also more likely to drive drive fame. I mean it's fame that helps to achieve those things and trust um, in a way that left brain dominant campaigns can't really do. And those that mechanistic left-brained advertising, if it has any role, it, uh, the data we have that suggests that you know it's more likely, slightly more likely to drive those very short-term effects. So pushing people to a website who are already in the buying window. You know, you show the brand up front and a product. Yes, I'll go and have a look at it because I'm thinking of buying a sofa right now, you know, for instance. But you Careful, know, they, Orlando, you'll, you'll get hit with a few adverts in a minute. <laughs> but you don't, but you, don't um, you know, you don't get, you, it's not going to drive the, that, that sort of lasting, those memory structures, you know, um, that, that, that really stay with you for a long time and that mean that you're the brand above any other that comes to mind next time you go and do a search on the internet, you know. And that's one of the points I sort of make, an important point, I think, I make in the latest book. And that's that, you know, in this world of where everything is moving online, you know, businesses moving online, this technologically disrupted world, and even more so after the pandemic, it seems, that, you know, brands, companies lose their physical availability, lose their mental availability, and that means that we need to create advertising of a certain kind. And that's advertising that 
raises the salience of your brand that makes it top of the shopping list you know that's brand building advertising that's advertising therefore with these right brain hemisphere you know sort of features of the living and everything else i describe music mm. humor those things yeah, and so just, I just wanted to stay on the topic of visuals for a little, a little bit longer. I was actually doing a little bit of research before our chat and, and looking at the history of art in advertising. I found this really kind of nice crossover and, and digging really deep. You can tell I've done a bit of research here. I was actually looking back and uh, in 1890. Oh, gosh. Um, I know, I'm going back. <laughs> um, there was an advert for Pears Soap. Mm. So, it, it, you know, I hadn't seen it before, but just looking at it, it really it struck me how stylized it was. Is it the babies, the, the children? The children, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So really stylized. It's a kind of like an oil painting-esque. You've got this uh, yeah, child sat on a log with soap in his hand. Yes. And that struck me because of obviously how stylized for the time it was, but also um, upon a little bit more digging, found out how much it actually costs. So it cost the company £2,200 to produce and then later, another £20,000 to put the campaign live. Now, consider this is 1890. That's £22,200 <laughs> back then. It's a staggering amount of money. <laughs> Huge back then. I, I don't know how, how that translates, but it must be millions yes. um, into today, today's day and age. So clearly art is key to advertising and then appealing to that right-hand brain for visuals. So what parallels between art and advertising are there today? And what can today's advertisers learn from certain historical art periods, such as maybe 1890s, but looking back through history? Yeah, great question. And uh, thanks for asking, because I think you can learn a great deal from art, of yeah. course. In fact, the you know, long tradition of advertising and artists working together, you look at the 1930s and 1940s, 1950s, the Shell campaigns with, you know, people like Roland Hilda painting and drawing, you know, uh, for them. Yeah, I was even thinking during that era, you know, like war posters, uh, you yes. know, your country needs you, stands out, you know, we, we even see that being printed today. Mm. Um, but again, that's another another kind of another example of art and advertising coming together to really capture the attention. And, and you know, what I do in the books is I try, I use art really to try to make manifest in a kind of, as, uh, in as right brain fashion as I can, you know, because you show the art and you sort of get people to feel it. I show how in uh, certain periods of history, particular, I look at two in particular in the latest book, one following the invention of the printing presses in the 1440s and the effects that that had, you know, on culture more broadly. And in fact, there are historians, and I, I would agree, that say that you have to look back that far to get anything like, to understand anything like what we're seeing today with the, you know, invention of the World Wide Web, you know, our ability to publish anything everywhere, you know, it's a very similar thing, but on an industrial scale that touches, you know, each of us. And I look back at sort of the period of about 1900, 1910, where massive industrial expansion, you know, um, changed again, I think, habits of thinking. And I think you can trace in these periods and others too, some of the left brain's hallmarks. And the, the left brain uh, is tends to prioritise the word over the image, Mm. Um, you tend to, to get uh, this sense of symmetry as well with the left brain. You see symmetry quite a lot in advertising at the moment. Someone perhaps stationed in the middle of the frame, 
you know. Yeah, everything's sort of like top down. It's like flattened, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and flat, flattening the because the, the, the flattened aesthetic, which I think you see in packaging too as well, flattened mm. and mattened, is, the, is the, the way that the left brain tries to see. It can't really see depth. It can't, can't really do depth at all. It's the right brain that is, helps us with depth and spatial things as well as time. So you, you get you get in those periods of art, you know, in particularly in the Reformation, words on on the unapologetically on the canvas, you know, telling you what to think and do. Uh, you get symmetry. You get this sort of stare that I've described about. You can see in Dürer's work, I think, and you can see it in certainly the um, uh, the avant-garde artists of around 1910. This strange stare, which suggests a sort of detachment is going on from society. There's a you tend to get a loss of vitality when this staring attention takes over, and you also get this sort of adversarial stance. It's sort of you know fronting up to people mm. but it suggests a sense of fear as well you know it's both sort of omnipotence but impotence at the same time when you get the stare so you can see some of these hallmarks in earlier periods in our abstraction too so of course in the 19, 1910 or thereabouts the abstraction the fragmentation of attention so just bits bits of things or bits of bodies you know think of Picasso's eyes mm. you know and uh, uh, Mondrian the strange sort of lines um, all of this stuff, uh, and then surrealism, this escape to fantasy, which you sometimes get with the with with the left brain dominance, because it, it sort of tries to shock us into feeling and, and to, to doing something, and you get that, you get that too. I am. Um, I have a question actually on that, Orlando. I'm really glad you mentioned the artists like Picasso and Mondrian because they were arguably famous for their more abstract works. And you know, Picasso is very capable of doing extremely realistic work, but he chose to, he chose to. develop through abstraction. And you know, when we look at that, his relevance, his famous works do sit on that side of things. But if they are sort of more connected to this left brain creative, you know, is it always such a bad thing? You know, people clearly had an emotional response to those works of art. They mean something in society. I mean, when we compare it with advertising, is that where the similarities drop off? Because it's not being effective for this, but, you know, it's still important over that. Yes, the, you know, the, they were um, slightly shocking. Well, they were very shocking at the time. And, um, you know, and, and I think there's a desire in advertising, I, th I think, a little bit to shock uh, people at the moment. So if you look at the work that wins, it can. And so, you know, the, you, get, you get this. So the, the question is, is it, does it work across a broad population? That's what we're talking about for advertising. You know, you look at the Britain's most popular painting and it's Turner's, you know, quite different. It's 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 the fighting Temeraire. That's what I'm struggling for. Um, <laughs> it's being br at sunset. You know, it's being dr brought in by a steamship. This this old boat that was in in the Battle of Trafalgar being brought back into dock. You know, and, and it's warm colours. It's telling a story. You know, it's it's a metaphor for kind of the world. And that's that's the sort of art that tends to top. You know, the the the, the most popular sort of types of art that there are. And so I think you, we need, as Paul Feldwick would say, we need advertising that is popular, mm. advertising that connects with as many people as possible. You know, uh, not this kind, not the kind of avant-garde um, advertising, which, which you know, will appeal to some people for what it's trying to say, but, but won't necessarily connect with many. That's interesting, isn't it? Especially when we talk about how important right-brained advertising is to brand building and maybe a lot of brands these days find some pleasure in being that avant-garde mm. edgy brand mm. uh, there's definitely an element of status isn't it you look at 
you know, brands like Burger King who are deliberately going sort of outside the box, deliberately shocking people, you know, back to the infamous, now infamous Moldy Whopper advert, which is certainly shocking. But that you're right, that does seem to be a trend, doesn't it? It's all about, you know, generating that conversation. And it's a very easy way to do that is through shock. That's right. It's sort of earning, earning media through press publicity. You know, what, what are they doing here? You know, this, this, and, and, you know, that sense of... <gasps> Gosh, what was that? You know, and you know that can that can be helpful in a lot in the short term. You know, and and get people, you know, get you get yourself on the radar, as it were. But over a long t- a long period, you know, it's it's actually positive. More let's put inverted commas positive emotions. You know, how people feel if they feel feel positively or happy. You know good about what what you're doing that helps to establish the affect heuristic you know positive emotions more likely to be imprinted on our memory structures than negative ones which are more short term and so you know if we if we're trying to establish memory structures and brands in people's minds then it's a different kind of advertising that's needed it's humor it's people connecting with each other in live time a sense of betweenness you know um, mm. the music uh, which is disappearing color uh, warmth and vividness of color which i talk about in the book um, character incident place these are the things that that are genuinely connect with audiences and let's let's go back to periods of art just for a moment because we talk about where we are now um, in terms of this creative effectiveness which you've mapped over the years in a steady decline. Comparing it again to periods of art which do swing between uh, abstraction and realism depending on what's happening culturally at that time, it always swings back by itself it's like politics. It goes from left to right over history. Can we assume that it's going to swing back for advertising as well or... Is there more at play? You know, are there other external factors like social media platforms um, that are sort of keeping us stuck in this left brain, narrow beam attention bubble uh, that we, we can't really mm. get out of without this sort of active intervention? Well, it's a good question and it's, it's very difficult to say. I mean, generally, you're right. Things do sort of oscillate and swing back and well, a, new, a new appreciation of what we had before comes comes back but because people tend to get rather bored and you know feel there's something missing um in the yeah. world and uh but it doesn't always happen um peacefully or, or easily you know but i think what you tend to you know, so the romantic movement you know emerged emerged from an, a, a period slightly before and suddenly it was you know th- dreams connection with place um you know not the night time these are things I talk about in Lemon. Um, you know, visual ambiguity in the sense of mists and, you know, serene landscapes. You know, these sorts of things became important for artists and in music too. Work of Chopin or Schubert or, you know, any of these things. Very, very right-brained, I would suggest. So things do swing back, but, you know, we are living in a different time and a different world. And, um you know, there are lots of things pushing against that. So, so you know, I suppose the first job is just to recognise it and, and try and articulate it. And that's what I've been trying to do and um, hope that we can find a, a way forward. You know, one of the questions I ask in the latest book is, you know, with money increasingly, budgets increasingly being devoted to social media advertising, even TV companies, you know, creating addressable TV channels, you know, that, that, that really mean targeted advertising. Where is the stage for our brand building show? Uh, you know, where's it, where's it going? And, uh, you know, so a question I sort of leave people with is like, I don't 
afraid I don't have the answer to that, but you know, I hope I can raise it as a question. The debate between right and brain and left hand brain is always fascinating because in theory, well, in reality, they do work together, right? So they work together to make decisions. You know, even right now, our left hand brain is computing the language that we're using and our right hand brain's computing the context and tone in which we're speaking. So should we actually be targeting one side more than the other? Are right hand ads more effective than left brained ads or is there an ideal combination here that advertisers should work towards just depending on what type of brand they are well i think you know and depending on the types of channels you're using probably as well yes, you exactly. know, um, um so you know what what i think we've we, we might have been seeing is is i suppose just the abandon we've been abandoning the, the right brain in our you know, creative to some extent and we need both. We know, you know, we need, we, we certainly need some some right-brained advertising for those lasting effects. But it could be that though that sort of mechanistic style of advertising can help um, nudge people towards a purchase, you know, nudge them towards something mm -hmm. that they were probably in the window for anyway, you know, because it just, uh, oh, yes, I'd forgotten about them. I'll have a look at those, look at them on the website. You know, so it's a sort of just-in-time, very straightforward, a bit like, I suppose it could be a bit like billboard advertising, the way it works is the brand up front and um, reminds you that the, the brand is there. Yeah, massively on paid social ads there as well. Like I mentioned before, you're probably going to get hit by a, a sofa company after this chat, after I, discussing I, I that. Will. It is literally just reminders just to push you over That's the it. edge. It's and a nudge, it's a reminder. And um, so you, you've kind of, you know, th there, there's probably a role for both, but let's not forget which one's going to be more important in, the, in this new d digital world. It's brand building, you know, if you look at Les and Peter's, work on the optimum split for brand building versus activation advertising, then, you know, you, you're talking about 75% of your budget should be on brand building. If you're an online company, if you're a subscription company, you know, because the easier it gets to, to do activation, the less of it you should be doing is kind of the kind of what they suggest. So I think there's a role for both, of course, but, you know, let's not forget where the, the important bit lies. I think what really stuck out to me, if anyone listening, please go and watch Orlando's presentations for Lemon and look out with the IPA, um, because I believe it was your presentation for Lemon where you showed the difference between asking the left brain and the right brain to draw flower. That's right. And uh, the left brain was absolutely terrible at it. And it, it almost just looks like a, a squiggle, like a shape, but everything is like very flattened, angular. Um, and of course, the right brain's better, but you know neither is you know the flowers that we see in real life. So it does suggest you need. A little bit of both to complement each other, yeah. We need both for creative leaps, but we, we should not underestimate the importance of the, of the right brain because it, it's also, it's more associative in the way it's connected and the way that it, really the way that it thinks, you know, it's 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 that the left brain's more localised in its arrangement, you know, tighter localised structures. So if it, when it comes to creating links between things, you know, the, the, the right brain does have an advantage in this. Um, and as you say, you know, when you it gives you that sense of space and depth as well. Uh, so when you when you ask people to draw a flower in the same person, you know, and you can there are ways of knocking out the left or the right brain at any given time. 
No, definitely. I think there's one thing that stood out to me as well, which was, you know, when you're mapping this change over time, um, and we're talking about creative effectiveness being on the decline, uh, it seems to kick off around about 2006, which for the more savvy listeners, what else happened around that time? Mm. Obviously, we know the rise of social media platforms and smartphones, etc. And that's when that sort of narrow beam attention became very like mass popularized in it, that sort of became the norm because it's how we're living our lives. But you know, if we talk about how, if social media channels have popularized this left brain creative and normalized narrow beam attention, I'm interested just to know if this is more on video advertising and, um, you know, is it is it effective there or are we just psychologically hardwired to detach ourselves from left brain styles you know like this big text and close-up shots and the the stare that we've talked about is that something we're always going to want to look away from or you know can it work on social media channels where it is a little bit more fast-paced it is a bit more short term i think there is something about the way that the two hemispheres work you know that means that we ought to be prioritizing things that appeal to the presencing right hemisphere because as i show you know and i show it and actually show it in tv advertising as much as I do in other, you know, in social media, either in, in feed or in um, pre-roll environments, you know, that, that it just sort of pushes pushes people away, you know, if it, beyond the first couple of seconds. You know, if, if people are still watching an ad beyond the first four or five seconds, the chances are they're watching a, a right-brained ad, you know, yeah. um, not and, and less so the left-brained stuff. Um Mm-hmm. Yeah, and unless you're 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 targeting hyper efficiently, you know, and uh, this is a person, as I keep saying, about to buy a sofa, you know. Um, if you're trying to build a brand on those channels, then that kind of work is less likely to do it. You need work that evokes an emotional response because emotion helps to put things in long term memory. Um, mm-hmm. And as I show with Facebook's data, is that you know brands that have that ads that have stronger emotional response are more likely to, to to lead to that uplift in brand awareness and the left brain ones won't. Yeah, I think you've definitely got a, a point there. I even look at my own behavior and Cal, I don't know if you are the same, but you know, we say people switch off to advertising because we see it all the time, especially on social, but because it's so normalized, if I do see you know, an athlete center shot staring down the camera and I hear that dung, 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 dung. I know I'm going to get given an ad. So immediately I'm like, can't be asked for this and I just mm. scroll past. Mm. But yeah, you're right. If it starts off like an old advert used to be and it looks like it's going to be more of like, uh, you know, a story, and a visual this? story. Yes, you, you're far, yeah. Oh, I'm far more likely to keep watching because I'm a bit intrigued and it's something a bit different. So, you know, we talk about if you want to stand out on social, maybe it is time to start doing what we haven't been doing for, for the last 10 years. And I think, you know, reintroducing that right-brained advertising onto social media platforms, a more left-brained environment can actually be a really effective way to stand out. We're talking about those stories, Eve. I think what we've seen, you know, Christmas adverts, they're stories, right? Yeah. And, and they're really popular for exactly. a reason. <laughs> so how many people watch Christmas adverts? How many people enjoy watching them? We'll watch them over and over again. You see them obviously on the TV, but if you have a look at the YouTube numbers, absolutely massive. And that's because of that story is slightly different. It's not forced. It's, it's it's creative in a different way. Maybe we're saying that everyone should start producing Christmas adverts throughout the year. What well, that's, you know, it's a shame that Christmas ads are only made but once a year, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, if you, if you, it's interesting that, you know, you, you look back at how campaigns used to be made 20, 30 years ago, you know, people would probably be making 
three or four brand ads for TV uh, a year. Now they probably make one Christmas ad, or or they what? might, or they might, or or maybe not even that. You know, maybe a brand ad yeah. every one or two th- years. Um, oh, Cal, tell Orlando how many assets you turn over for Puma in a week. For one campaign, you could be easily doing sixty, seventy assets on social. Mm. That's that's. I mean, it's a lot, isn't it? So you're sort of feeding yeah. the machine um, uh, to some extent, and uh, but but not not cre- not doing the. The broader, I mean, I don't know what's happening in that instance, but you know, generally, I think there's there's less time and 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 experience actually these days when it comes to brand building advertising. Yeah, I think the difference there is that the brand building this is very much um, it's kind of on the pulse yes. reactive. So yeah. mm-hmm. there's a slight difference there in that example, but yeah, I completely agree with the the brand building. I think Christmas ads would would definitely fall under that category, but I can't actually mm-hmm. unless it's a rebrand. Um, I can't actually think off the top of my head how many times a full-on brand ad would capture your attention. Whereas, as you say, in the past, that used to be, what, three, four times a year. Those are the ones you remember, though, isn't it? Like yeah. The Foster's adverts, the Cadbury's exactly. adverts. Boddington's. I still remember mm-hmm. the Sainsbury's Christmas advert where they had the uh, British and the German soldiers meeting in the middle oh, to yes. play football yes. on Christmas Day. Yeah. And I must have been, like, quite young when that came mm-hmm. out, but I still remember it. I mean, look at, like, the differences these kind of adverts are having on our emotions. I think, Orlando, will you share that story that you um, that you told in the Lookout presentation about the the dog and oh, the cone yes, and it's sort of metaphor to narrow beam attention? Well, I think it's a it's the it's a metaphor for I think what's been going on in the world. Um, I was writing the book and I went out for a walk one day and um, a woman walked past me, coming towards me, you know, with her dog, and the dog suddenly jumped up at me and started barking, you know, on its hind legs woman pulled it back and said you know so sorry about that he's normally fine it's it's the cone and you know i looked down and a dog was wearing one of those veterinary cones cones of shame you know like a <laughs> elizabethan <laughs> collar um it, you know it's true you know when you look when you when you look into it the narrowing of of that peripheral attention if you like the field of vision means that dogs can become fearful and aggressive and that is, I think, a pretty good metaphor for what's happened to us mm. over the last 15, 20 years. That we spend so much time looking down and in. And when we're there in those places, you know, there are algorithms to push us to further ex- to the extremes. We've created a kind of seek and reward mentality and habits of thinking in those environments which is much more uh, you know, associated with the left hemisphere, mm. dopamine hits that you get with it, left brain more sensitive to dopamine. So you get that the, the sort of kind of very driven goal orientation, which comes with the left hemisphere. Yeah. Even those words you've just used, fearful and aggressive, I think you'd argue, generally, is some of the feelings that people as a whole have been feeling towards brands. You know, that, that sort of distrust yeah. that we've been battling with as an industry. Um, the fact that it could all come back to... <laughs> what exactly we're putting in our creative and how exactly we're making it is interesting because people, you know, people have been trying to fix it with a lot of cause marketing and you know, to get a lot of serious statements and emails like we're here for you. And it doesn't seem to be making much of a dent. Uh, but you're saying if you just change close up text for, you know, a wide shot of some people spending time together. That could actually do more yes. good. Yes, and you know it does. It, it it connects with people so much better. You know, there's a lot of talk about being authentic and authenticity. Actually, authenticity, if it means anything, at least for me, is the ability to connect with other people in a very trusting and exploratory and you know 
enjoyable way, it's not telling them what to think. And that's, um, you know, that, that my personal view. But that's, you know, I think, I think the right brain tells you a lot about how to do that. And as I said a moment ago, you know, right brain campaigns are more like to establish that brand trust to fame, to, to see the brand as the leader in that category. Be more right brain. Is that our takeout? <laughs> Use that for the episode title now. <laughs> you could. You could, yeah. Well, honestly, we've learned a lot today. And again, I encourage our listeners to go um, and read what you can, watch what you can of Orlando's work with the IPA because I think it's very important and it's very interesting. But thank you, Orlando, very much for coming and telling us a bit about it today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Eve. Thanks, Callum. Thanks for having me. Or did we or did we not say that Orlando knew his stuff? Definitely um, a very intelligent man. But I think, you know, my biggest takeaway from that conversation is just how, if it wasn't so sad, I'd probably laugh just how funny it is that we're we're doing all these things and trying all these methods like, you know, animation and the rhythmic soundtracks, the way we pour over which rhythmic soundtrack to pick. And it's doing the complete opposite of what we want it to do. You know, it's, it's actually sending people away. It's, it's making them detach instead of holding their attention. I think past the first three seconds, there's been no consideration of brand building, which, you know, let's think about online-only businesses and challenger brands that are starting up on Instagram that, you know, don't have the weight of history behind them. Arguably, we need to invest more in brand building, right? We should actually be seeing more of right-brained creative on social channels and digital channels. Yeah, as Orlando said there, you know, we've seen brand adverts actually decline uh, as time goes on which is you know it seems ridiculous really as you know competition rises and um screen time the fight for screen time obviously so precious these days you know you'd, you'd imagine that brand building needs to increase we've actually seen mm. it go down it, it seems like we're playing in the wrong ballpark at times you know and, and i think one thing that really stuck out to me was you know how minor differences between say a cutaway long shot and an on-screen text pop-up can completely change the opinions mm. and behavior of a consumer we have yeah. to be so careful when constructing adverts you know it's not necessarily a soundtrack like you say the difference yeah. is quite literally in the shots. No, definitely. And I think if we relate it back to what he was saying about this narrow beam retention and broad mm. beam retention. So broad beam is what you want to aim for. If you want to do that, you can very easily just zoom out in the way you're approaching making your adverts and your assets for social as well. Because I say like, I do see it happen every day. We get so hung up in the details, um, you know, like choosing, you know, the exact right color, the right font, the right soundtrack. And that's us, you know, approaching it with this narrow beam attitude. Mm -hmm. So that, of course, is going to be the result. But yeah, zoom out and think about that. You know, what's the overall vibe that you're leaving behind, um, that you're leaving with the audience? Is it going to resonate? Is it going to make them connect? Um, and I think we do lose sight of these details sometimes, understandably. It's a bit, it's very fast paced at the moment. Everything is quite short term. You know, we are trying to be as effective with our time as possible, but to what, to the detriment of what? Yeah, definitely. That 2006 stat that you referenced there, you know, if you if you can have a look at in 2006, obviously social media comes onto the scene and it is no coincidence that social media is making us much mm -hmm. more left brain heavy. Yeah, uh, I saw an iPhone for the first time in 2006. Oh, Lego, that's, I mean, that is it. It, it, it cannot be a coincidence. You know, the, the rise of short, sharp, fast consumption of media is making us that left brain heavy. And this is all actually happening without us and that was knowing it really. We're kind of sleepwalking into this. And if you can, yeah, if you can take a step back and concentrate slightly more on the right brain, that creative, artistic, visual side of the brain, I do think this will be hugely, hugely helpful for brands. And, and something that 
Personally, I'd never really taken that step back and looked at left and right hand brain. But after this chat is something I'll be definitely doing going forward. Yeah, yeah. And it's like Orlando said, there are so many examples um, where you can really see it play out in terms of really specific visual and auditory elements that we mentioned a few of in this episode. But it, it really is worth a look because there's so much to it. Um, so it's very easy to actually spot what you could be doing wrong and then easy ways to fix it. And yeah, particularly when it comes to storytelling on social. Um, and like I said earlier on, if you want to think of it as a tactic, you would be standing out from other brands yeah. by doing this because it has become so normalized to to make sort of short and snappy text-led uh, videos. And I don't know why I'm doing myself down a bit here because it's quite good to have these text videos for a copywriter. We uh, always yeah, need oh, yeah. some words. But it's your bread and butter. Do you know what? Speaking as a professional, I think I'd much rather work on longer spot ad that's telling a, telling a real story and has a real narrative. Like we see with these Christmas adverts every year, they are proof that they are still effective. Even if you think it's worth you know, a lot of time and money, it's probably worth it in the end. Mm-hmm.